from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing the fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you, bright and early Friday, May 29th. The sun is shining. It's basically light on my way to work now at 5 a.m. Excited to be hanging out with you today on this Friday, jam packed hour. We've got some news that could impact the NFL and their plans to reopen specifically in the state of Texas. We'll hear from Roger Goodell on the virtual offseason, an extension of that, plus health and safety protocols for the NFL as they move forward. Some big news in Major League Baseball, but also the minor leagues as well. A lot of players were cut Thursday. We're talking hundreds and hundreds more expected to lose their jobs uh, as They try to work through everything with the coronavirus, but what this means for those players, could they land on major league rosters? And then speaking of the major leagues, uh, the MLBPA is expected to create their strong counter offer to the owner's initial offer from earlier this week. What could it include and why are these two parties still so far apart? We've also got happenings in the NBA and their return all ahead in this hour. But right now, let's get to your headlines. Texas will soon allow outdoor sporting events to have spectators, but the numbers will be strictly limited. This is according to a new order Thursday from Republican Governor Greg Abbott. Abbott revised a decision to let pro sports leagues host events without fans starting in June as part of the state's move to reopen amid the coronavirus pandemic. The new order allows outdoor stadiums to host fans up to 25 percent of their normal capacity. Leagues will have to apply to state health officials to be allowed to have fans. Indoor events will still be without spectators. The change came the same day as Texas, though, reported a one-day a new high in cases, a new one-day high in cases with uh, just under 2,000, 1,855 reported yesterday. Um, the state has had over 1,600 deaths after a one-day increase of 39 So health and safety protocols will obviously be very important. The PGA Tour has previously said it plans to restart its season at Colonial in Texas on June 11th through the 14th without fans attending. Major League Baseball has also proposed starting its season in early July. More on that in just a minute at regular season ballparks without fans if necessary. However, this order may not impact the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros because stadiums with the retractable roofs are not considered to be outdoors. Dallas Cowboys coach Mike McCarthy, he was asked uh, for comment. He said he hasn't given much thought to the idea of playing games in empty stadiums, that he is uh, just full in on the prep for the season with his new team this year. Athletes will not be required to wear masks, but the guidelines encourage them to be worn on the sidelines regardless. The order does not address college sporting events. That's a huge, important uh, piece of this as well. We got to hear from Roger Goodell, NFL commissioner yesterday on First of all, extending the virtual off-season another couple of weeks. We also uh, mentioned to the clubs today, and we'll be sending a notice out later this afternoon, that we will be extending our virtual off-season two more weeks, at least two more weeks. And uh, we have gotten a tremendous reaction from coaches and players. I specifically have talked to many 
the, the off-season virtual workouts have worked very well and as designed both by the NFL PPL earlier this spring under the circumstances. Goodell also commenting a little bit on some of the safety protocols that they'll be working through the off-season and taking into the regular season. We'll also continue to work with the LPA and our medical experts to ensure that we are doing everything to ensure a safe return for our players not only to the facilities, but also to training camps uh, for preseason games and, of course, the start of the regular season. That's the highest priority we have. Meanwhile, in the world of baseball, hundreds of minor league baseball players were cut Thursday. Hundreds more expected to lose their job as they try to deal with the near certainty that the minor league season will be canceled, according to an ESPN report. Team officials say a large number of players likely would have been released towards the end of spring training, even if baseball hadn't been halted by the coronavirus pandemic. But that doesn't make the cuts, which would wind up being over a thousand players, any less devastating at this time. Release players uh, express fears that their careers would be over and, and finding a job will be difficult. In recent weeks, owners of minor league teams have reportedly also started laying off some front office and game day workers and citing the cancellation of the season as the reason. The minor league baseball season has not officially been canceled, though, according to a spokesperson, uh, though the suspension of the professional baseball agreement that governs the minor league's relationship with Major League Baseball precludes big league organizations from providing players to their minor league affiliates. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred said he would inform minor league baseball if and when players would not be or would be allowed to join affiliated teams, but has yet to do so. Obviously, a lot going on in the majors right now in their discussion with the MLBPA as well. Minor League Baseball President Pat O'Connor has yet to speak publicly and acknowledge the potentially lost season, but several minor league teams seem to be acting as if the season is over. One team even renting out its stadium on Airbnb. Jeff Passan talked about this yesterday, about how minor league baseball, it's a much different business model than major league baseball and thus is in bad shape. The minor leagues are a completely different business than the major leagues. Major league baseball has sponsorships. Major league baseball has television revenue and major league baseball has uh, significant gate revenue. The, the only thing that the minor leagues have is that gate revenue. And when you can't open up your stadium to fans, you can't have a business that's functional. And that's what teams are facing right now. Remember, Major League Baseball wanted to cut the 160 minor league teams down to about 120. That is clearly going to happen. But of those 120 that aren't cut, you wonder how many are going to go under just because financially uh, their solvency issues become too overwhelming. So speaking of those cuts, for more than a year, Major League Baseball's plan to contract about a quarter of minor league teams before the 2021 season. Uh, now you couple that with a pushback of international free agent signings until perhaps as late as January 15th. Then we know that the draft this year is going to be just five rounds. So that'll deplete minor league systems. They could be pretty thin, at least uh, at least according if everything falls in line with that. As for the players themselves, all teams agreed to pay minor league players $400 a week in April and May to cover wages lost because of canceled games. The $400 salary was given by MLB regardless of what the players were supposed to make, including to hundreds of players who had been contracted to make several times that amount 
For some players, that meant a pay cut of more than 80%. Earlier this week, the Oakland Athletics told their minor league players that they would no longer receive the stipend starting in June, which drew significant criticism um, because also Trevor Plouffe, who was on Spain and Co. yesterday, and I love hearing him talk. He had a lot of thoughts on the arguments going on between Major League Baseball and the MLBPA, but also said what's happening right now to minor leagues is a little bit criminal. This whole thing is kind of a mess. In some regards, I think these guys are okay with getting released. At least they can collect unemployment. And my understanding is the A's haven't released anybody. They've just um, told all their players that we're not going to be paying them anymore. We're not releasing you. You can't go get a job. You can't become a free agent. You can't collect unemployment. You're just an employee that's not going to be getting paid. I think that's criminal. You know, obviously it's not the best scenario, but something obviously better than what the A's have done. But that whole system is being shaken up, and it's unfortunate that there's really nobody bargaining for these guys. And I think this might be a time for the Players Association to finally take care of some of those guys, knowing that they're the future of the union as well. Eight teams have said they will pay minor league players through at least June, with the San Diego Padres and Seattle Mariners pledging to play, play, pay players through the end of August, around the time the minor league system normally ends. And Jerry DePoto commenting on this on with Danny and Gallant yesterday. These are our most valuable assets, our young players who are coming through our system and, and, and project a, a greater future. And they are the most vulnerable right now. And, and we need to take care of them. And, and thankfully, we work for an organization that, that feels the same way. And we did. That's good news uh, right there. Not so good news. The discussions going on between Major League Baseball and the Players Association, and they continue this week. Today, the uh, players are expected to create a strong counteroffer to what the owners floated earlier in the week. The collective position of the union right now is very strong. They believe this premise that they need to go back at Major League Baseball with an offer as equally strong as Major League Baseball's was to them. And by strong, I mean completely untenable in the long term. Like what the union goes back to MLB with is not going to get baseball back on the field. Coming up next on The Blitz, more on this, including why the players might offer 110 games, want to play more games, while the owners might actually be aiming for something around 60. I'll explain. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz hanging out with you this morning. For the break, we talked about the MLB and the MLBPA entering into strong discussions this week. And the Players Association, not happy, pretty much offended by the initial offer of uh, of the owners, and they're expected to make a strong counteroffer to owners today, one that is expected to say, hey, we won't take any further pay cuts to the proration for the per-game basis, and also we want to play more games than you suggested. We want to play somewhere from the 100 to 110 range. Well, the timeline for all of this to get worked out, it has to be accelerated if they want to play, according to Passon. 
needs to be accelerating if baseball wants to come back by June 10th or the middle of June for spring training and start its season early in July as MLB had hoped. That's becoming tougher to see by the day because the union's going to not take its time but get its proposal over to MLB and its proposal's going to include more than 100 games and full prorated salaries and Major League Baseball is in all likelihood going to do exactly what the union did which is say, no, we're not dealing with this. We know there is a lot of mistrust uh, between these parties, but basically on the side of the players, especially in how revenue is reported on the other side. Trevor Plouffe, former MLB player, he was on Spain & Co. yesterday and loved his interview. He had a lot of great thoughts, but he mentioned, uh, obviously bias from the player's perspective, but he mentioned that owners put themselves in a bad spot floating the revenue sharing idea, the 50-50 revenue split, because revenue sharing has never been a part of baseball. Whatever they make and whatever their profits are, they keep those, we get some licensing, and we get our contracts. It hasn't been approached, you know, a revenue split. This year, it just so happens to be a year where the revenue is going to be down after, you know, four or five years of record-setting revenue. Now they... Well, they didn't formally propose this, but they leaked it to the media. They wanted a 50-50 revenue uh, sharing system. That's all fine and good, but, you know, if I'm a guy that gets offered that, I want to see what the revenue is. So they kind of open themselves up to that question. You know, if you want to share revenues now, okay, let's open the books. Obviously, that's not going to happen, especially when we're one year away from uh, having to collectively bargain again with the owner. So I think they put themselves in a weird situation floating that idea of revenue sharing out because – None of them want to open the books. We know that for a fact. We heard Max Scherzer speak out on Twitter and say that at this point, there's no reason to engage with MLB on further discussions about pay cuts. And Trevor saying it was great to see a guy like Max Scherzer speak out because of the weight that he carries in the league and being part of the MLBPA executive committee. But I also loved this. He had a theory about owners actually wanting to play a shorter 60-game schedule. Here was Trevor Plouffe on Spain & Co. explaining that theory. When we first had an agreement in March and the players and the owners came together so quickly, I thought, that's strange. That doesn't usually happen so fast that I thought this was a circumstance that, that needed that to happen. And now we've seen that the owners have thought the situation was fluid the whole time. And... You know, as we get dive more and more into the financials or whatever they've allowed people to see, it's obvious that they think they're going to lose money during the regular season. This is what they're saying. Do we know if it's true? They won't open the books, so we don't know. But what they're saying is for every game they play in the regular season, they're going to lose some money. Postseason revenue, especially in expanded postseason revenue, is where they're going to you know, recoup some of these so-called losses. So in my thinking, it's let's get to these 60 games. Let's get this season in in as few amount of games as possible, and then we'll just try to reap as much revenue as we can in the postseason. It makes a ton of sense to me, and it's funny because the players went the opposite way or are going to go the opposite way in the proposal. They're going to propose 110 games. The two sides are very far apart right now, and we are. We're running out of time. So we'll keep you updated on that. In the meantime, we do know Super Agent Scott Boris, he recommended to his clients that they refuse Major League Baseball's attempt to cut salaries during negotiation with the Players Union, claiming team financial issues caused by the coronavirus pandemic have their origin in management debt financing. Uh, In an email that was obtained by the Associated Press, Boris wrote that players should not alter terms of the March 26th agreement between MLB and Major League Baseball uh, PA and uh, called for players to reduce that 
that called for players to reduce their salaries to a prorated rate based on a shortened season. MLB on Tuesday proposed a series of reductions, uh, tiered salary reductions that would cause top stars to receive the biggest pay cuts. And several of those players are clients of Boris. Boris wrote to his clients, quote, remember, games cannot be played without you. The players uh, should not you. The players should not agree to further pay cuts to bail out the owners. Let owners take some of their record revenues and profits from the past several years and pay you the prorated salaries you agreed to accept or let them borrow against the asset values they created from the use of those profits players generated. Owners are asking for more salary cuts to bail them out of the investment decisions they have made. Uh, and Boris continued on. You could see the full thing available online, the AP Sports Report. But Boris, best baseball's best-known agent, represented 71 players on active rosters and injured lists as of last October 31st. And he also negotiated more than a billion dollars worth of contracts during this offseason. So very familiar with some of those high-paid uh, players, those big-name stars. And yesterday, Jeff Passan commenting on this. Well, actually, first, we should note that Cincinnati Reds pitcher Trevor Bauer, who usually has uh, an opinion and to speak, a truth to speak on everything, addressed Boris a Wednesday on Twitter. He had this to say, quote, hearing a lot of rumors about a certain player agent meddling in MLBPA affairs, if true. And at this point, these are only rumors. I have one thing to say. Scott Boris, rep your clients however you want to, but keep your damn personal agenda out of union business, end quote. Boris declined to comment on Bauer's remarks, but yesterday Jeff Passan explaining to Rich Eisen uh, on Trevor Boris why Trevor might have called out this agent. Trevor, Trevor likes beefing with people. Like that's just his thing, man. If he if he feels a particular way, he will talk about it. And and I will say this: Scott Boris, um, Scott Boris has a lot of influence over the union right now. Uh, he's got the ear of people at the MLBPA. He's got half of the executive subcommittee uh, as his clients. And, and the executive subcommittee is the group of eight players who make uh, the biggest decisions and who are on the calls with MLB. And, uh, you know, Max Scherzer, a client of Scott Boris's, he just like the he has consolidated a great amount of power in this situation and is not afraid to wield it. And he is one of the hardliners. He is one of the people who believes that uh, the the agreement from March is valid for the players, that they should push for their full pro rata, and, and that they need to stick to it. Passing adding that whatever you feel about Boris, uh, he you can't say that he's not a great negotiator uh, in his career, and he knows something about negotiation. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, well, A, who who leaked this email, which of the clients, or how did it get out there, and, and why? It's always a question I ask, but how things uh, move going forward will keep you updated. Up next on The Blitz, did Jadevian Clowney really turn down an $18 million per year contract with Cleveland, and why? Does that still give hope for the Seahawks to sign him? It's next on The Blitz, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Friday, May 29th. Starting you off on this sunny Friday. Going to be really nice here in Seattle in the Pacific Northwest area. Sunshine. Loving it. 
until you are off work, though, let's keep you updated on everything going on, including the latest on Jadevian Clowney. We had heard earlier this week a rumor that he turned down an $18 million per year deal with Cleveland Browns. What does this potentially mean for him landing back in Seattle? That topic on Tom, Jake, and Stacy yesterday. We talked to Adam Schefter yesterday, and we asked him about Genevieve Clowney, who still doesn't have a job. Um, and there was something that I guess we just sort of overlooked. Go ahead and roll cut one, Curtis. The market tells me that he, he wanted more than other teams were willing to pay. Uh, Cleveland has been willing to pay, and, but I think it tells you that he doesn't want to go to Cleveland, not at the price that they're paying. And certainly he would put off going to Cleveland for the time being. So is there a team that is going to suffer an injury? Like, again, I think he started out wanting over $20 million a year. Uh, the Browns were at 18, uh, doesn't want to go to Cleveland. So the question is, well, do you want to go somewhere else and not get the money you wanted? Do you want to go to Cleveland and, and take the money at that point in time? And that's only a question that he could answer. Okay, so for anybody, guys, who is still interested in having Genevieve and Clowney here, and I think we all are. I think we all see him as still being necessary here, no matter how good or bad you think he is. $18 million per year on a multi-year deal. If that offer still stands from the Browns, what does that tell us about what Clowney's thinking right now, whether it's the Seahawks or anybody else, Jake? Well, to me, i, I got to be honest, guys. I am completely baffled by Clowney. In through this whole process, and and I think everybody was kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt of the situation because of COVID nineteen and the fact that he was an injury ridden player, a guy who was just coming off of core a core injury, and a player that needs to have a physical conducted by a prospective team that wants to sign him to one of these big deals. They're not going to give him that big contract unless they're able to give him that physical. So you give Clowney a pass for continuing to push back and push back and not accept the offers that were being thrown to him. But now I'm looking at this situation today, May 28th, and I and I can't believe that Clowney just turned down an eighteen million dollar offer from the clown uh, the from the Browns. Uh, the clowns a, a, a multi year <laughs> deal. Now that was subconscious. I apologize to the Browns, but uh, you know uh. maybe my true feelings came out. I don't know, but I, I, I think for me that's that's something that look you you come down from your price point from twenty million to eighteen, and you, you sit there and say I. I'm now willing to accept that offer. None of the teams that you actually want to play for are giving you that offer, and yet an up-and-coming style of team with great talent offers you the money and the years that you want, and you turn it down. So really at this point, I don't know what Clowney thinks he's going to get out of this situation. No, I... Man, it's got to be the contract he thinks he deserves, right? Because I initially when I heard Schefter say that, I thought, well, yeah, he turned down the Browns. He told reporters that he wanted to play for a contender. And maybe in his mind, and I think fairly in the minds of other fans, the Browns aren't a contender this year, a serious contender. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'll all be eating crow. But I think it would be fair to look at that decision by Clowney and say, okay, sure, that makes sense. But is it that, or is it that the Browns offered him a number, the highest he's received, and he still didn't want it? Still baffling some questions, but keeping hope alive for some people in Seattle. 
Yesterday, also, Paul Moyer, one and only, joining Bob, Dave, and Moore to chat about some of the rule changes that were proposed uh, in the NFL this year and if he's bummed out that some didn't make the cut. Before we get into the Seahawks, we want to get into some of these rule proposals that were going to be up for a vote and then pulled off the table. First, we had the Sky Judge. That was going to be up for a vote, and they said, oh, you know, we don't have our ducks in a row. Let's let's table that. And then there was the 4th and 15 uh, proposal that the, I think the Eagles originally came up with that Dave and I specifically didn't like until we heard, at least until I heard, that it was going to be an option. You could still do an onside kick. It wasn't replacing the onside kick. You were going to have a choice between the two, so that made it much more palatable for me. How did you feel about those rules, and are you are you bummed that they didn't even get to a vote? No, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I don't mind seeing some change along the way, but I also, why do I got to reward the team that's from behind? And so now I'm going to give them two options. You know, they're losing for a reason. Um, you know, I, I, I think I heard Dave Wyman yesterday say, well, you know, go back to the old um, onside kick rule, you know, where at least you had an opportunity that was more successful where you could, you know, stack or, or overload one side. You know, you can certainly have a, a better opportunity there. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the, the challenge with that fourth and 15 one is, you know, you start doing, you know, algorithms or, or, or data on it. Yeah, there may be a point where someone says, hmm, you know what, maybe we've got plays in or, you know, we, we increase that fourth and 15 uh, number to we can convert 40% of the time on that. Well, you start doing some of that math, you go, okay, if I kick it away, it's 100% of the time I'm, I'm giving the ball back to the other team. What if every time I went for it on fourth and 15 after I scored? You know, where I had a chance to, to 40% of the time to get the ball back. So, I mean, you, you could change the odds in football really quickly. So, I just think there's some things they need to, to, to play out a little bit more. And I don't know, is it broken? I mean, do we need to fix the – you're behind. we got to fix you to have a more opportunity to win from when you come behind. I, I don't know. There, it's really the only sport that does it. You know, basketball doesn't say, okay, you're behind. You can have the basketball back. You know, there's no other sport. It's really the only one that, that, that gives you that opportunity. Yeah, I like the way you put it that way. I mean, you, you're losing for a reason, so why reward reward them? And then, you know, and then same thing with the draft, you know. You, uh, you get rewarded for being terrible. So, But it, let me ask you this. We had Dean Blandino on, Paul. I really enjoyed talking to him. It just the, the officials themselves... You know, and I'm going to do a little story time tomorrow about some of the interaction that I had with those guys. And, you know, and, and Blandino basically agreed that, yeah, we're given a lot. And so they get a lot put on them as far as, you know, having to enforce rules. And some of them maybe they don't even want to or they think are unrealistic, but the NFL wants them to. But I always looked at those guys as being they were there to help us. You know, and uh, it, you probably had a lot of interaction being back there with, with safety and uh, playing that position, what were some of the, what, were, what was your impression of, of the officials during the time that you played? Well, I know the rule book was about half the size, Dave. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's gotten to be, you know, yep. uh, the size of in the amount of words is a Bible. I mean, how how you can memorize all that is is crazy. 
Um, and I just think again that we just—it's the what if, you know—we just keep piling on more and more and more rules. And I, and I do. I think you know, 30 years ago they did. They used to talk to us. They said, "Hey, you know, you know, here's what I saw. You know, make sure you're not doing that." You know, there wasn't this, you know, hard rule um, along the way. I did. I felt like they were trying to just help the game move along. You know, they—they they really felt that if I wasn't seen if I wasn't throwing a lot of flags that was probably good for the game and and I don't think it's necessarily their their personalities have changed I just think you know the scrutiny of TV the amount of rules I mean there's I I don't know how how you can be that perfect and they are so good I mean there are times when I look at it and I go oh there's no way that was out of bounds or that was a fumble and wait till they 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 do the replay on that they're going to overturn it and these guys are really good um, so, you know, again, I just think that that rule book has gotten crazy. I, I, I like having replay. I, I just wish they would speed it up, make it a little more common sense, move on quickly. Um, you know, I, no one wants to lose a game by a blown call. That is for sure. Paul Moyer on with Bob David Moore. Full interview available at 710sports.com. Up next on The Blitz, it is time for The Hot List, a new order in Texas and what it could mean for pro sport events there. I will also hear from Roger Goodell on health and safety protocols for the NFL moving ahead right next, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! We haven't talked as much about the NBA's return today, but we're going to do so now. Damian Lillard being pretty honest, or at least an article that came out recently and with some comments of him and how he didn't want to return to play in any meaningless games. And pretty candid and honest. He joined Jalen and Jacoby to explain, further explain, the context of those comments. I mean, I felt like the way the story was written, it was taken out of context because it was a casual conversation. And it was like, expert of this, expert of that. But it wasn't a demonstrative statement. I was just saying, you know, we've been off for two months. If we come back, we want to play for something. After this type of break, usually when you come back, especially with how fast we're going to be jumping into playing, you know, I think guys are at risk of injury, also at risk of, you know, being exposed to whatever because, you know, none of us have been around each other if so many teams are going to be in one spot. So there's so many things out there that, you know, we could be at risk of. So, I mean, if we're going to do it, obviously as players we want to play, but we want to play for something, especially if we were in position to, to play for that in the first place. Also on the reaction of other players after his comment. One of the reasons I haven't heard from many other players, possibly other guys that feel the same way, they want to play for something. And some people might be looking at it like, you know, it's almost summer. This is usually when it's our break. We're going to come back and not be able to actually play for an opportunity to continue to play. Then, you know, I feel like some guys would prefer to just go on about their summer. But I want to play. I've said that many times. I want to play. Um, I just want to play for opportunity to be in a postseason. I didn't feel like that was a bad statement. Dan Orlovsky did not like those comments uh, and went off about them. What we've experienced as a group of people over the last three months has taught us anything that there is no such thing as meaningless anymore. Like, we can't take things for granted anymore. 
And there's a difference between have to and get to. And Dame Lillard would have the opportunity to get to play basketball again because there's people out there that have to go do things. Uh, Doris Burke, though, the queen, thank you, saying there's a reason Lillard can feel the way that he does. There are monumental challenges here for any sport that wants to return. The fact of the matter is Damian Lillard has lost somebody close to him in his immediate inner circle in the last month or so. He also has a young son. All of these professional athletes, like the rest of us, have family that we worry and are concerned about. These are monumental challenges. It is why I have said if there is a return for the NBA, let's go to the 16 teams. Let's let's establish them some standard of safety that gives us the best or uh, chance to minimize risk. Because I do believe, Greeny, that that the like other businesses, people are getting hammered, sports leagues, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter. Life and death matters. I love Doris. Thank you. Speak that truth right there. DeAndre Hopkins, now a brand new Cardinals member, right? Ugh. He was speaking up on Jalen Jacoby as well this week. First of all, on Bill O'Brien trying to justify the trade that had everybody's head scratching. I haven't spoken on that too much. Uh, you know, obviously that's my agent, uh, you know, and them, but I just wanted, you know, to be uh, compensated for what I was worth. Obviously, I was making little or nothing, you know, compared to where my play was. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a business. They felt like they made the right moves, and I wish Deshaun the best. He's uh, he's one of my, my best friends, you know, not just on the football field, but out the field. So I wish him the best. DeAndre, on thinking he's the best wide receiver. I definitely think I'm the best. I know I'm the best. You know, Mike, my boy, I love Mike. We was texting yesterday, but he know if I had Drew Brees my whole career, what these numbers would be. Julio Jones know if I had Matt Ryan my whole career. That's my boy. I trained with Julio, too. He know what these numbers would be. So, uh, you know, those guys are definitely blessed to be in a position where their whole career, they had a, a Pro Bowl quarterback, quarterback that they uh, spent, you know, multiple seasons with. Uh, you know, but I don't complain. I don't make the excuses. I go out and work. Obviously, you know, my team won the division championship five out of seven years since I was there. And I think every every team in that division went out and tried to get a DB every draft to stop what was coming to them every, you know, every year. But, you know, nothing to the, nothing against those guys. But, you know, I definitely made three all-pro first teams also. And then, this is maybe not music to any Seahawks fan ears, but DeAndre Hopkins on why this season will be his most productive. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I played with a lot of quarterbacks and, and put up great numbers and, you know, been in offenses that uh, necessarily wasn't a pass-first offense. So, uh, you know, myself, you know, being a receiver, of course I see my stats going up. You know, we have other great receivers out there, Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, and a lot of other guys out there. You know, I definitely see, uh, you know, myself having one of my, my more productive seasons. I love DeAndre, but why the NFC West? We just can't catch a break here in the NFC West. Super agent Scott Boris recommended that his clients refuse Major League Baseball's attempt to cut salaries during negotiations with the Players Union, claiming team financial issues, investments caused uh, and, and, and investments caused by the coronavirus pandemic have their origin in management debt financing. This was an email that was leaked or somehow obtained by the Associated Press in which Boris wrote that players should not alter terms of the March 26th agreement that was made between Major League Baseball and the Players Association that called for players to reduce their salaries to a prorated rate based on a shortened season, basically a per-game basis, but saying that the MLB's proposal earlier this week to take further pay cuts 
He said, remember, quote, games cannot be played without you. Players should not agree to further pay cuts to bail out the owners. Let owners take some of the record revenues and profits from the past several years and pay you the prorated salaries you agreed to accept or let them borrow against the asset values they created from the use of those profits players generated. Cincinnati Reds pitcher Trevor Bauer never went to shy away from his opinions. Addressed Boris on Wednesday on Twitter at Bauer writing, hearing a lot of rumors about a certain player agent meddling in MLB PA affairs, if true. And at this point, these are only rumors. I have one thing to say. Scott Boris, rep your clients however you want to, but keep your personal agenda out of union business. Boris declining comment on Bauer's remarks. Uh, <laughs> Trevor Plouffe, who was on with Spain & Co., he talks about Bauer calling out Boris. You can see both sides. Scott has had instances in the past where, yeah, he's had an agenda, a personal agenda. And I can see where Trevor's coming from saying, like, look, this really isn't your fight. Stay out. If I'm part of the union, which I'm not anymore, I'm okay with listening to guys, you know, taking some outside counsel here and how to go with these negotiations. This isn't exactly something that, you know, we've had to encounter before. Like a global pandemic is something new for everybody. So, I'm okay with hearing outside counsel. It doesn't mean Scott's making any decision. He's going to influence his clients regardless, but I think it's okay if you know he's in the discussion a little bit. Like I said, he has no power to make any decisions. I just think it's okay to listen to some people sometimes, get a different point of view. Oh, Trevor, always thoughtful. Matt LaFleur, Packers head coach, was speaking recently about his relationship with Aaron Rodgers. Were things a little awkward after drafting Jordan Love, after taking a quarterback in the first round? Matt LaFleur yesterday on his relationship with his star QB. I think you're always working on that relationship, no matter who you pick. And had so many good conversations prior to the draft, after the draft. I've spent a lot of time with Aaron throughout this virtual offseason. We talk four times a week whenever we get those opportunities to meet in those individual meetings. And I feel really good about where we're at. You know, we both understand that this is a business. And when that whole thing went down, it was just one of those situations where there were a couple guys targeted that had just previously been picked. And Jordan was the next guy on the board. And so we went with the best player at, at, at the time. So what I'm hearing is it's totally not awkward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Clay Helton, USC head coach, on this week, I believe, with Paul Feinbaum, talking about how he feels optimistic. Oh, no, it was Will Kane. Excuse me. He was optimistic that the Pac-12, in particular USC, will be able to play 12 games this season. Here was Clay. I think everybody's going to be different now. Are we optimistic for the 2020 season? Yes, very much so. You know, We're looking forward to a 12-game season, the opportunity to play an exciting game versus Alabama, a rivalry game versus Notre Dame, nine conference games fighting for a Pac-12 title and, and hopefully a playoff spot. Um, but the one thing that I'm really appreciative to be honest with you, is every conversation that I've been in, whether it's with the university, whether it's with the Pac-12, whether it's with the NCAA, every conversation has been priority one, the health and safety of the student athlete. And as a guy that considers I've got three children by birth and 110 that I got the honor to adopt that right now are scattered from Connecticut to Hawaii, um, I'm appreciative as an adopted father to an adopted son that and these guys are going to be watched after. And each time period may be just a little bit different. But as we're talking about the fall and progressing to the fall, this thing is really trending in the right direction. Hundreds of minor league baseball players were cut Thursday. Hundreds more expected to lose their job, lose their jobs. Excuse me, as minor leagues, uh, the teams 
struggle to deal with complications of the coronavirus. This is according to an ESPN report. In recent weeks, owners of minor league teams have started laying off front office and game day workers reportedly, citing the cancellation of the season as the reason. Minor League Baseball President Pat O'Connor has yet to speak publicly and acknowledge a potentially canceled season, but several minor league teams seem to be acting as if that season is over, one team even renting out its stadium on Airbnb. Jeff Passan on minor league baseball being in bad shape at this point. The minor leagues are a completely different business than the major leagues. Major League Baseball has sponsorships. Major League Baseball has television revenue. And Major League Baseball has uh, significant gate revenue. The, the only thing that the minor leagues have is that gate revenue. And when you can't open up your stadium to fans, you can't have a business that's functional. And that's what teams are facing right now. Remember, Major League Baseball wanted to cut the 160 minor league teams down to about 120. That is clearly going to happen. But of those 120 that aren't cut, you wonder how many are going to go under just because financially uh, their solvency issues become too overwhelming. Earlier this week, the Oakland Athletics told their minor league players they would no longer receive the stipend that uh, they had been starting in June, which came under significant criticism, and rightly so, uh, because I think they're not technically releasing them. So just in a position where they can't collect unemployment or go get different jobs, at least uh, that was what Trevor Plouffe said yesterday on Spain and Company. Eight teams, though, have said they will pay minor league players through at least June. And the Seattle Mariners, uh, one of two teams, along with the Padres, that pledged to pay players through the end of August, so around the time the minor league season normally ends, which is pretty incredible. Texas will soon allow outdoor pro sport events to have spectators, but the numbers will be strictly limited, according to a new order Thursday from Governor Greg Abbott. Abbott revised a decision to let pro sports leagues host events without fans starting in June as part of the state's move to reopen amid the coronavirus pandemic. How could this uh, possibly impact some teams? Well, Major League Baseball has been trying to start its season uh, at some point in early July at regular season ballparks without fans if necessary. Uh, Abbott's order, though, may not impact the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros because even stadiums with retractable roofs are not considered to be outdoors, and outdoors is a, a big stipulation here. Roger Goodell speaking yesterday about the NFL virtual offseason. Well, they'll be extending it another two weeks. We also uh, mentioned to the clubs today, and we'll be sending a notice out later this afternoon, that we will be extending our virtual offseason two more weeks, at least two more weeks, and uh, we have gotten... A tremendous reaction from coaches and players. I specifically have talked to many. The, the off-season virtual workouts have worked very well and as designed both by the NFL PL earlier this spring under the circumstances. The NFL commissioner mentioning that health and safety is their priority right now. That's a wrap for the Hot List and the entire Blitz at Six Hour. Have an incredible weekend. Enjoy the sunshine out there, but stay safe. We'll talk to you on Monday. Danny and Galan coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.